Good morning, Alaska, and welcome to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. Here at Line One, we've made it our mission to provide reliable health information that helps Alaskans make informed decisions about their health care. Over the last two years, perhaps the biggest health issue all of us have been dealing with has been how to navigate decisions around COVID-19. Who do we hang out with? Do we work? Do our kids go to school? And of course, should we get vaccinated? With a number of partners, Alaska Public Media is encouraging Anchorage citizens to get vaccinated. Well, Alaska citizens, in fact, uh, against COVID-19. We are doing this by having conversations and sharing stories from our community and by providing resources from experts in the medical uh, field and in other fields. So we are calling this series of conversations, Talk to Your Neighbor, and we're encouraging you to call in and share your perspectives on why you chose to get vaccinated or not get vaccinated and to discuss conversations you've had with loved ones about this issue. On today's edition of Talk to Your Neighbor, we are discussing that very thing, how to talk about uh, vaccines and masks and other controversial things and how to depolarize vaccine conversations. Our guest is Megan, and I did not a ask how to pronounce your name, so I'll go with Cassiola. That is perfect. That nailed it. All right. She is the Vice President of Programs for the Alaska Humanities Forum. Welcome to the program, Megan. Thanks for being here with us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. We are very excited because, uh, Megan, you are the first guest I've had in studio since I think we had that little tiny COVID window in July. Wow. Um, so, yeah, welcome. And uh, it's nice to have a face here to talk to instead of a voice on the phone and uh, or maybe a face on Zoom. But it's really nice. So thanks. Um, I want to remind people that we value listener participation on line one. If you have a question uh, for Megan today or a story you'd like to share uh, about vaccine conversations, uh, how they went, how they did not go, what you did well, what didn't go so well, um, please give us a call and share that with us. In Anchorage, our local number is 907-550-8433. If you're calling outside of Anchorage, our toll-free number is 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to is to email us with your questions or comments to line1 at alaskapublic.org. you got to spell out line1, L-I-N-E. O N E, and we will do our best to get your answers, get answers to your questions on the air. Um, it is uh, important. We often get calls in the last 15 minutes, and then in a bunch of emails at the end, and we can't get those on. So if you think of something early, go ahead and reach out to us. Okay, uh, let's get started. Uh, Megan, just give us a little bit about your background, and you are the vice president of programs. So maybe explain to us uh, at the Alaska Humanities Forum. So your background and what your role is. Sure. So um, I grew up in Indianapolis and I um, bring that up in part because it's a uh, fairly um, progressive urban center in the middle of a very conservative state. And I grew up surrounded by a lot of political and ideological diversity. Um, I knew people who 
uh, and was friends with and my family uh, were friends with people who were both liberal and conservative. We had friends that uh, and I knew lots of people who were fiscally conservative but socially progressive and others who were socially very conservative and fiscally progressive and people who were 100% conservative and 100% liberal and progressive and everything in between. And I think that growing up in that environment has sort of um, uh, it, it created a grounding that led me in our current uh, social situation where there is a lot of uh, partisan stereotyping to be a little skeptical of of those um, perspectives. And I think it also has led me to be really interested and um, and open to work that bridges, divides generally. The Alaska Humanities Forum uh, has a mission of connecting Alaskans across difference. And so um, for the last, um, I'm, I'm almost at my eight-year anniversary of being there. So for, for these eight years, I have been uh, working uh, on that. And I think that one of the things that is so important is that the Biggest part is the commitment to keep doing it because it's really, really challenging work. And I can't say that I am absolutely perfect at it, that I don't make mistakes, that um, it isn't still difficult to um, to have conversations with people that I disagree very deeply with. Um, but I do have a really strong commitment to that work. And uh, I think that it's a big part of what has kept me at the Alaska Humanities Forum uh, for these eight years and what keeps me going. And that's a, a good, great way to start us off. Uh, I, too, grew up with a lot of diverse opinions um, on my father's side, New England, um, very, very liberal, marched with Dr. King, which I've talked about on the radio, and, and social justice. And my parents were very involved in like men stopping violence programs uh, in the 70s and, um, and early 80s. And so that's one side. And then on my mother's side is, is rural Georgia outside of Athens, which is farmland and the heart of, you know, like Christianity, very sort of strong Christian beliefs, fundamentalist, um, and, you know, sort of very, I guess, isolated from yeah. a lot of that diversity and different people. It was uh, very um, rural and, and country and conservative and, um, and very white. Yeah. Um, and that was so having those two perspectives and, and different opinions, and there was a lot of uh, controversy in the seventies when my parents would bring, you know, their gay friends out to the farm for cookouts and, you know, and my grandparents wouldn't really speak of it. And they'd say, Oh, I really like Jeff's friend, you know, and it's just totally. And I mean, a lot of people are really surprised when they hear that I grew up in the Midwest, that I had the, the principal of my, um, of my elementary school was an out queer woman. My fifth grade teacher was in a, a queer relationship with my elementary school gym teacher. I had like I was uh, I, I had a lot of 
access to and relationships with people who were out, um, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s. And I think people are often surprised about that because of their beliefs about the the way that our country um, is sort of sorted into spaces where that would be possible and other spaces where it wouldn't be possible. At the same time, I grew up um, with a uh, my my step grandmother, um, who my grandfather was a widower, and so um, he married her, and she was my grandmother my whole life. The um, she was a conservative um, Baptist evangelical um, in Southern Indiana, who was in a small white community and very much would have been scandalized if she had ever, if I had ever told her that that was happening. Yeah. Yeah. In a bubble. Um, okay. We have somebody who listened, Thomas in Palmer calling in early. Uh, you're on loan line one. We'll go with our, our first caller. Go ahead, Thomas. You're on the air. We're talking about COVID, right? Yeah. Okay. I didn't, uh, seemed like I was off subject. Anyway, <laughs> no, nope, we haven't got there uh, yet. Uh, so, uh, when it first came out, I was nervous like everybody else. And I looked into it on my own separate of Facebook. And there was, uh, there's actually yogurt technology. Uh, somebody figured it out because uh, they want the right bugs in the yogurt, and they took it from the yogurt factory into the lab. And there was this couple, a Turkish couple, working in Germany, and they were treating your cancer with this technology. And uh, they, when they heard about the COVID thing, they 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 jumped into action. Uh, with this technology to do that. Uh, that's one story I heard. What was convincing to me, besides curing my ca- my cancer instead of cancer, was uh, curing sickle cell anemia. And sickle cell is actually a good thing if you're in Africa subject to malaria. It prevents malaria. And so, so that's... Uh, an evolutionary thing to protect you from malaria, but it's very painful. And uh, so they're using the RNA technology uh, to cure sickle cell anemia, uh, 100% successful. And after seeing curing my cancer and curing sickle cell anemia, um, and I'm a veteran, so I raced, raced, you know, I felt it was my duty that we all go get vaccinated and this will be over with, you know. Uh, there's only uh, 10 people, only 10 people uh, infected so far. And uh, because so many people have not, not uh, gotten, you know, I, I had COVID, uh, somebody, people say, and so I'm good now. And I've seen videos, uh, the, the uh, muscle man and stuff. Uh, when he got it the second time, uh, he was sidelined for the rest of his life, he says. So um, I think it's, it's a difficult decision. Uh, we got rid of polio, and uh, the food's all GMO. And if they want to knock us out, they'll knock us out. Uh, I don't think that this is 
this is what they're trying to do with this shot here. All right, so you educated yourself and then made a decision based on your research that you wanted to get vaccinated. Yeah, and then there's also this other thing, too. There's two crowds. There's one crowd saying, please get your vaccine, and another crowd screaming that you're violating my rights, and they're, you know, angry crowd against the vaccine. And that tells me something, too. Uh, the angry crowd doesn't know. They're angry because they don't understand where the, the quiet, the, the calmer crowd uh, has an understanding of what's going on. And, and I think uh, if you want to follow a crowd, I don't think you want to follow an angry mob. Well, that's uh, that's probably generally good advice. But thank you for the call. And that sort of like leads us, you know, sort of right into our discussion about the polarization of these vaccine conversations. And I listen to a lot of conservative radio uh, because I like to get a lot of different views and a lot of different points. And there are smart people um, who really do feel strongly on both sides of this. And I think that's sort of what we're going to talk about um, today is how do we have those conversations in a way that does not um, get turn into a high conflict situation. Um, Absolutely. And just one, one thing that I, I sort of want to bring into the conversation from that is um, – Polarization creates uh, a it, it creates a density of um, a, or a sense that there um, are two sides uh, because there's so there's such an obvious distinction uh, between two points of view, and often what that does is it blinds us to the um, complexity that does. Uh, exists still within our communities in terms of how people see the issue, how they're responding. And so I, I, I think that one of the dangers when we talk about this is to see it as black and white as anti-vax and pro-vax when there are a lot of different reasons that bring people to a decision, to a choice not to get vaccinated. Uh, there are many people who are um, who are not vaccinated less because of an active choice and more because of lots of factors um, that uh, make it more challenging for them to get access to the vaccine in ways that uh, work with the conditions of their lives. And then there are lots of people who might be um, pro-vaccination in very, very different ways. There are people who get vaccinated themselves and vaccinate their families, but disagree with the idea of vaccine mandates. There are people right. who are um, who are pro-vaccine, um, but who have nuanced views about um, how that um, the vaccine should be distributed and promoted across the country. And so anyway, I, I don't want to lose that either um, in this conversation that um, it's not just two sides necessarily. That's a great point. And I think that's a great way to start any conversation is like, you don't have to pick either A or Z. Like those aren't the only two positions that, totally. that one might hold. And so to start with sort of an open mind and we'll talk about certainty and what that does mm -hmm. to uh, your ability to reason and to see the other person's point of view. But before we get too deep into that, I just want to 
help people understand what exactly it is that the Alaska Humanities Forum does. Like, it's sort of this mysterious thing that's out there. We we talk, like we have conversations. Like, what? So, what's the mission and some of the history? Why? How was it? Why was it created? What? What's the purpose? Yeah, so we're actually um, celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. Uh, We were formed as one of the uh, state humanities councils. Every state and U.S. territory has uh, a council, and uh, just like we have arts councils. And so uh, humanities councils are focused on um, essentially uh, exploring the the things that make us human and um, that uh, covers everything from our history to our present day, um, the the things that allow us to be um, a healthy democracy, essentially. And so what we do, um, what we focus on as a humanities council uh, is we design uh, experiences that help people uh, connect across difference. And sometimes that means a difference between urban and rural, uh, cultural differences, language differences. It can mean um, different ideological viewpoints. We bring people together across all the different backgrounds and experiences uh, so that we can be a community a more um, inclusive community. And I think that one of the things that um, has happened um, over the last, you know, I'll say century and 50 years uh, for sure is that um, as we've become a more mobile society, as we have, it's easier to move community to community. We have more flexibility in our jobs and that sort of thing. Uh, we also have the choice to live among people who are more like-minded. And we've sorted ourselves um, a lot into communities where um, we are less and less exposed to um, that kind of uh, diversity as, as we get older. And so I think we've, we've lost our um, sometimes our uh, skill set in connecting across difference because we are so used to connecting with people who are like-minded. We work with people who are like-minded. We live in neighborhoods that tend to be with people who are like-minded. And um, yet we are a state and a country that is really, really diverse. Um, and that's what makes democracy difficult is because we have to be in community. We have to be building a future together with people who see the world very differently than us. And I think that that is, I mean, to bring it back to COVID, one of the challenges that um, we have experienced in this pandemic, um, I read a book um, about other pandemics and one of the the tr- historical trends that um, that was pointed out was that um, more authoritarian governments tend to either do really, really well or really, really poorly um, in the face of pandemics. And that's because they have tremendous control and their choices uh, can either go really, really well or really, really poorly. But democracies tend 
to struggle with um, dealing with a crisis like this. And it's because uh, there is inevitably a lot of division over how to respond. Um, and the same things that we are experiencing now with COVID happened in 1918, 1919, 1920 with the, uh, with the flu epidemic that was happening then. Um, there was all sorts of uh, controversy over which uh, treatments were going to be the most effective. There were um, people who were really frustrated over mandates. There were people who were frustrated about the lack of mandates. There were differing choices among different local communities. And, um, and it just like these conversations are tearing us apart right now, it, it tore them apart then. A hundred years later, it's still a very similar dynamic, huh? Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that you can look at that either from a sense of hopelessness because, you know, a hundred years later and, and how far have we we moved from here? Or I, I, I do see a, a silver lining of sorts, which is that, you know, I think it's easy to look at how we've experienced this pandemic and feel a tremendous sense of disappointment that we couldn't do better. And I, I guess I feel like there's this other side, which is we're really committed to engaging everyone in developing this future together. And yeah, that's difficult and there, it's hard and it doesn't always go well. Um, but there, there's something that is powerful about that commitment. All right. We're at our first break, but before we take it, I want to just read your vision, um, sure. statement, which I really like is our vision, um, at the Alaska Humanities Forum. Our vision is a culturally diverse, economically vibrant and equitable Alaska where people are engaged, informed and connected. Uh, I think, whether you are on, doesn't matter what political end you are on or somewhere in between, I don't think there's anybody um, who would disagree or sound, you know, not really appreciate that vision. Um, so, Absolutely. All right. Uh, as I mentioned, we are past time for a break. So if you are just tuning in late, you're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public media. Today is the third installment of our Talk to Your Neighbor series, which is part of our effort to encourage people to inform themselves um, and make a choice about getting vaccinated for COVID-19. My guest today is Megan Cassiola, uh, who is the Vice President of Programs for the Alaska Humanities Forum. Today, we are discussing the strategies for depolarizing conversations about vaccines. If you have a question for Megan, a comment about today's topic, or a personal vaccination vaccination story you would like to share, you can reach us in three ways. In Anchorage, our number is 907-550-8433. Outside of Anchorage, you can reach us toll-free at 1-888-353-5752, and you can email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. After this short break, we'll be back for more about depolarizing vaccine conversations. I'm Prentice Pemberton. You're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The COVID-19 pandemic has created unexpected financial hardship for many Alaskans. Do you need help paying your mortgage? You are not alone. Now there is help. If you own a home, you may be eligible for Alaska Housing Homeowner Relief. The program may help cover mortgage payments, property taxes, utilities, insurance premiums, and homeowner association dues. The last day to apply is Monday, April 4th. Learn more and sign up at alaskahousingrelief.org. This message sponsored by Alaska Housing Finance Corporation. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. For those of you who might be tuning in late, today is the third installment of our Talk to Your Neighbor series, which is part of our effort to encourage folks to get vaccinated for COVID-19. My guest today is Megan Cassiola, who is the Vice President of Programs for the Alaska Humanities Forum. We are talking about strategies for depolarizing conversations about vaccines. If you have a question for com, uh, for Megan or a comment about today's topic or just a personal vaccination story, why you chose to get vaccinated or not to get vaccinated, um, please uh, reach out to us today. Our Anchorage area number, if you're in Anchorage, is 907-550-8433. Our toll-free number is 1-888-353-5752, and our email is line1 at alaskapublic.org. All right, uh, let's get into a little uh, about conflict and why humans, I guess all animals, engage in conflict. Uh, so it's there's something innate about it, I would imagine. Um, why do why are we so vulnerable to conflict and how does it come about um and why you know why is it so polarizing and damaging uh, to society yeah so um i am certainly not a neuroscientist but um i've read a lot of books and talked to a lot of experts on this and one of the um things that consistently comes up is that our brains respond to um, threats to our ideas the same way that they respond to physical threats. And so when we are uh, faced with someone who um, who is challenging our ideas, um, it's not entirely different from being face-to-face -face with a bear in some ways. And it triggers our fight, flight, and flee uh, response, which means, you know, fight, the fight response in this context would be arguing to win and losing sight of, um, losing sight of what we might actually be wanting to achieve or what might be the most effective, uh, but really trying to dunk on people and, and prove them wrong and that sort of thing. Uh, and, then uh, the flight is just, you know, we have a lot of people who are like, 
I just won't talk to this person anymore. Right. I'm going to leave this conversation altogether. And then um, the freeze is just you you hear something and you're so stunned by, by what you hear. You don't engage at all. Um, and so in that context, um, we are really stuck in this response and we lose access to the part of our brain that is um, – is able to attenuate the, those responses and um, help us step back and and think about like what is our goal in this conversation? What might actually be possible? And what's the most valuable approach for the um, for our long term goals as uh, in this relationship or um, as a community and so forth. Yeah, and I think about um, conflicts, and I think about yeah, that threat idea can either mm -hmm. be to our ego, our sense of like self, our psychology, right? I'm threatened by you're telling me I'm wrong, or our ideas, or our personal or physical safety, and then the idea of certainty is mm -hmm. something that um, one of my favorite books is The Anatomy of Peace, mm -hmm. and it's uh, you know it really says that the heart of conflict is like you can't be in conflict with someone that you think is right. And to reduce conflict, it's important like to consider how, if you and I are in a conflict, I need to consider how you, Megan, might be right. Yeah, and I, I love that book as well. And I think that one of the other points that it makes is how easy it is when we are in conflict to stop thinking of the other person as a human being, as a full human being, and to start thinking of them as an obstacle, as somebody who's in the way of what what needs to get done. And, and I think that when we are in conversations that are decision-making conversations, and co with COVID, that is is something that comes up a lot. You know, how do we, who gets to come to this gathering? Um, what are right. the... Um, what are the requirements for traveling together? Um, who uh, does my child get to see? Or, you know, your divorced parents and you're arguing over whether your child gets vaccinated, mm -hmm. right? That's a big one. And so you start to see the other person in conversation as an obstacle to the decision you want to see happen, as opposed to a person in their full humanity. Yeah, that's and that goes to your earlier point about you know, like it becomes very tribal mm -hmm. and you other people like, oh, you're one of them. You're an anti-vaxxer, which does not take into account all the nuances that you spoke of and all the different reasons why. So curiosity is is really, really important. Um, yeah. Your point about certainty there, once you once you categorize somebody and start to um, stereotype them, you know, as anti-vaxxer, you're making assumptions about a lot of other things that are going on with them, which shuts off your sense of curiosity. You feel like you already know the answers. And so why would you even need to ask? Yeah. And there is a neurological process when you are certain there's no need to access the parts of your brain that are curious, that are looking for different possibilities. And and you stop considering like how might that person be right. There's it's actually like, oh, I've I've identified this thing that I know is correct. And then your brain activates that certainty sort of part and you stop reasoning and rational thinking and problem solving. Um, right. And we're so attuned to this with other people. We see them doing it, but we we don't right. see ourselves doing it. Yeah. 
Yeah, a mirror is often helpful. Uh, okay, we got a phone call. Um, Robert, you have a, a personal story you'd like to share with us? Go ahead. You're on line one. Um, so I have been kind of sitting back and listening to all of the, you know, all of the great uh, opinions you guys are sharing. Um, and I just wanted to share a personal story. I'm a, a patient at Alaska or at uh, South Central Foundation, so I was able to get my vaccine um, before a lot of my peers, my own age. Um, and so I was out the day that the vaccine was available to me as a patient. Um, and I got vaccinated. Um, I was fully vaccinated a year ago and I got the booster as soon as the booster was available. Um, and due to my job, I work in contact with a large number of, uh, people in the public in their, you know, in, uh, enclosed spaces. So I inevitably got, um, Omicron and um, brought it home. And, you know, my family was fully vaccinated, uh, except for my youngest, who is unfortunately not old enough yet to be vaccinated. Um, and when I brought it home, I first started feeling symptoms on Friday, tested negative on Friday. Um, you know, we were all in the same area in my house Friday, all Friday night. And then Saturday morning, I felt even worse. Tested again, came back positive. I immediately uh, sheltered myself in our bedroom, and the family stayed out with without contact with me from Saturday morning. Um, Sunday night, my youngest started uh, a fever, and he uh, also tested positive. Um, and so he joined me in the side of the house that was sick, and my wife and my oldest, who were vaccinated, stayed on the side of the house that wasn't sick and they never showed any symptoms, never tested positive, never the whole thing. Um, and I believe that it was because of the vaccination and because of us following, you know, the social distancing as much as possible in our own home uh, really prevented my wife who is high risk um, from, or from testing positive. And then also my oldest who was, you know, also able to avoid that illness. And so I just wanted to say, if, if, you know, it's that effective to keep half of my family from getting sick when I bring it home from work, then I think it's something that people should really honestly take a good look at if they still have doubts. All right. Thank you for the call, Robert. That's, um, it's a story that's repeated a lot. And uh, I think everybody in my house has had COVID except for my oldest uh, daughter who's 16. She's been the only one who's avoided it. And it was a, a hard decision for my children. It was easy for me. I decided I'll go get vaccinated my wife. And then as the younger my kids got, the more difficult it was for me to decide that. And I talked to a lot of different uh, physicians and, and pediatricians, and I had to rely on that experience um, and expertise of people that I trusted, because I don't think any of us out here really could call ourselves experts. So, What I love about this exchange is I think that it points out how much stories influence our perspective on um, all issues and, and this one included. And it can be really powerful just to draw out the stories that um, lead people to the conclusions that they're making because a lot of times we want to, um, we want to focus on uh, sources and science and that sort of thing because we believe that that's the the right way to come to our conclusions. 
the reality is, is that usually the thing that is influencing the most are, are the stories in our lives. Um, and so learning uh, other people's stories can can help us to better understand where they're coming from. Absolutely. Storytelling is a powerful, a powerful medium. Uh, Caroline, uh, you're in Anchorage. You're on line one. Go ahead. Yes. Good morning. And thank you again for an excellent program. Uh, I had wanted to mention uh, going into uh, first grade in 1950, I was able to remember, uh, am able to remember the children that died from polio and that it was a scourge of the entire world at that time and looked uh, as if it was uh, uh, invincible until the serum started getting uh, the vaccine uh, was available. And uh, people were lined up. People were considerate. And as an oldster now, I'm looking around and going, how did we get here? And Mm. one of the things, you touched on some really basic stuff, the sociology of why we do what we do and, and uh, the results that come from those decisions. And I thought to myself, I wonder if, uh, this is recent thinking, if, if what the impact of World War II had on the acceptance of our nation for uh, word from educated people. I mean, you know, these were scientists, our scientists. And uh, as hard as, as I worked, I, I never was able to, uh, to get the, the type of gr- grades that would have perhaps pushed me into that field. But, yes, it's a matter of being able to relate. And I think that sometimes we forget that we need to keep in touch with our uh, prehistoric self um, to, to realize how tribal we are. And, again, the fight and flight, fight or, or flight. Uh, response is definitely there in so many areas that we just do not even give a thought to. But this is something, no, I had no difficulty getting a vaccine because I knew that the people that were putting it out there had more knowledge of science than I did, and I have respect for that. But at the same time, people need to be uh, given the option of, of, well, how do you think that? Why do you think that? So the, what you folks are doing, breaking this down this morning, is super, super important. But again, I think many of us feel powerless in our lives, and to be able to make a firm decision that only we can control mm-hmm. uh, has a lot of val- uh, validity to folks. But at the same time, think about how people came out of World War II and, and whether or not they were directly touched. Everybody was touched by the Depression. Everybody was touched by World War II, and we had to consider others in our decisions that we were making in those times. Thank you, Caroline. That's a great call, and it's, uh, it's good to hear from you again. It's been a while. All right. Um, thoughts on Caroline's call, Megan? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just another example of all of the stories that are contributing to her um, perspective, her choices. And um, and I think that one of the great questions that I sort of have in my pocket whenever I'm talking to someone whose perspective, whose decision I don't understand, um, and maybe even um, I, I not just disagree with it, but I might think that it's immoral or um, a, a really uh, a, a choice that damages our community. Um, 
in those cases, the question I tend to ask is like, how did you come to make this decision or how did you how did you come to believe that um, with the sense that, you know, there there's I, I can make assumptions about what has brought them to this conclusion. Um, but often there's something surprising there mm-hmm. if I keep digging deeper. All right. We're right at our break. But before we go on our break, because when we come back, I want to get into depolarizing. How did we get to this spot? Just real briefly, how do we get, I know it's probably not a brief answer, but <laughs> to this place around masking and vaccines where there is such a loud and obvious uh, chasm? Uh, there's a woman who uh, thinks a lot about this sort of thing, Monica Guzman, who brings out three trends, sorting, which we already talked about, which is that idea that we live and surround ourselves with people who are like-minded, othering, which is since we're constantly surrounded by people that think like us, we start to really uh, believe that people who think differently are even more different than they actually are and mm. we start um, seeing them uh, in terms of being the enemy and then the last phenomenon is siloing which relates to the way that we chain stories together and so we we think that because we know one thing about someone that for instance they vote for uh, Republicans that we know all these other factors we know their vaccination status we know all sorts of things. And it reminds me, there was the um, article in the New York Times that said, can you identify uh, the fridge of a uh, a Trump voter, right? And Mm. like, we think that just because we know one thing about somebody that we can identify what's in their fridge, which, um, which shuts down our curiosity about them, because we think that knowing one thing helps us to understand the full picture, which just isn't true. Yeah. All right. Okay. If you are uh, tuning in late, you're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. This is our third installment of our Talk to Your Neighbor series. Uh, we are talking with Megan Cassiola, who is the Vice President of Programs for the Alaska Humanities Forum. And today's discussion is focusing on how to depolarize conversations about vaccines. If you have a question for us or a comment about today's topic, you can reach us in three ways. Our Anchorage number is 907-550-8433. Toll free, you can reach us at 188-353-5752. And our email is line1 at alaskapublic.org. After this short break, we will continue our conversation about depolarizing vaccine conversations. I'm Prentice Pemberton. You're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, did you know that one out of four Alaska high school students currently use e-cigarettes? E-cigarettes are easy to use and easy to hide. What teens breathe in and out from e-cigarettes is not safe. It contains cancer-causing chemicals, toxic metals, and nicotine. Nicotine can lead to addiction. It can harm brain development and hurt memory, learning, and attention span. Parents, talk to your teens about vaping. Visit livevapefree at alaskaquitline.com. This message sponsored by the Alaska Tobacco Quitline. 
Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you're just joining us, today is the third installment of our Talk to Your Neighbor series. It's part of our effort to educate folks about COVID-19 vaccinations. Um, my guest today is Megan Cassiola. She's the Vice President of Programs for the Alaska Humanities Forum, which is uh, encouraging people to have real conversations, um, and they have some suggestions and tips for how to do that, which we'll get into. Um, we have a lot of phone calls lining up, so we're going to uh, get right after a couple of those, and then we'll get back into our conversation about depolarization. You can reach us in three ways. In Anchorage, our local number is 907-550-8433. You can call us toll-free at 1-888-353-5752, and you can email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Um, we'll go to uh, Mary. We'll go take a phone call from Mary in Anchorage. Uh, go ahead. You're on line one. Hi. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. So I'm curious, um, why is this? vaccine, quote unquote, being pushed, when obviously, nine times out of 10, even though you have the vaccine, you're still going to get COVID. And, and then the other question is observation. Um, it's very intentionally fear mongering. So go ahead and start with question one. So uh, to to dig into question one, I, I guess I just want to um, acknowledge that I think that the question is really more making a point. Um, what you are trying to say is that there is uh, a tension uh, or a, a sort of hypocrisy that you see in that uh, it, it, what you are describing. And I think that it is characteristic of a lot of our conversations that we have a lot of beliefs and thoughts that we want to get out there into the world and we want people to acknowledge them. Um, and also we want to use our questions to try to make points, right, to, to try to uh, convince people that they are missing a critical hypocrisy or a critical, uh, you know, internal conflict in their belief. Um, and we're not actually asking the question from a, a perspective of curiosity. We um, we're not asking it because we genuinely don't know the answer. Um, we're asking it because we're trying to make a point, which th there's a place for that, for sure. But I also think that, um, you know, we are very passionate about um, issues like this because they bear on our day-to-day -day lives and our livelihoods as a whole. Um, whether for, for a lot of people, you know, these issues are matters of life and death. And so um, with that being the case, um, it is our entire life story that have brought us to the passionate perspective that we hold. And a single conversation is very, very unlikely to move anyone. 
Uh, and so what is the point of even having a conversation if you um, aren't going to move the needle? And um, one of those is just to better understand the people and perspectives that we're in relationship with, right? To to better understand them and to get clarity on our own perspectives, to test out the weaknesses of our own perspectives rather than to point out the weaknesses of others. We can use other people as uh, sort of a mirror to help us reflect on um, where we might not be fully um, you know, uh, thinking through a- an issue or we've, we've missed something. And if I was going to, if I can jump here and hear Mary, like what, if I'm trying to put myself in Mary's story, I say she, you know, her point was that why do we have to get vaccinated if it, if we still get COVID? Right. And I would agree with her, like if that is the position, because it was pitched as it's 97% effective in keeping you from getting, getting COVID, the goalposts have been moved. So if I put myself in her story, I think it keeps changing. And my decision to get vaccinated and to get boosted was not about so I don't get COVID. Basically, the science has, or the research is indicating now that it keeps you from getting seriously ill or dying. You know, it helps to prevent and reduce that risk. And so, but if I really try to consider her perspective, how she might be right, I think, oh, yes, that has moved. Um, and to the fear mongering question, like it's a very unknown thing and it's scary. And I think a lot of people died early on in a really horrific way. Um, and so I think it was terrifying for a lot of people and I was scared of it when I got COVID, I was scared. Um, so, uh, I, and I really appreciate Mary calling in and asking those questions because those are the kinds of conversations we have to have with people who think differently, right? Right, and I mean, I think that it's really important for us to be able to recognize places where there are tensions in our own beliefs and and that sort of thing, and and that's what she's trying to hone in on. All right, let's go ahead and uh, we'll keep going with the phone calls. John and Juno, you're on line one, go ahead. Hi there, Um, thank you. You know, as I'm a very well-trained biologist type person who is kind of interested in viruses because I was a polio pioneer. I'm that old. Uh, I was one of the people they tried the salt vaccine out on, and some people actually got polio from that. Mm-hmm. But the thing I want to talk to about you about is the health guidelines. I don't blame people for wondering what's going on because, for example, we stand six feet apart in line because if somebody coughs or whatever, we're hoping that the particles will fall on the ground, and they won't get in anybody's lungs. But now there's a big emphasis on ventilation, which means that if somebody coughs, you're going to blow the stuff all over the room. And I just don't understand that. Uh, and the other one that I didn't ever understand is why washing your hands was important, because, you know, it's just not sending those messages just shows that the public health sector doesn't know what they're talking about or that's what it, that's what it says to me and I'm I'm educated on the subject so I don't blame people for wondering what's going on cuz it doesn't make sense to ventilate 
you want to, you want this stuff to just fall on the ground and stay there. Okay, that's all I got. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate the call, John. So John calls in with some great points, and I've heard arguments about how you know surgical masks work in an in a sterile room with uh, gowning and gloving and with people who know how to use them, but most of us are walking around with them in our pockets, taking them on and off, and people have that argument about about the uh, the masking stuff. And so John doesn't necessarily believe the things that are promoted about, you know, like how to mitigate some of these things and how do we have a conversation with that point of view? So John uh, used a phrase that I think uh, is a really helpful opening phrase for conversation. He said, to me, he said, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we share our perspective and, and say, for me or to me, um, it helps to provide space for somebody to offer an alternative way of looking at it. And um, and that's not to say that there isn't an objective truth. I'm not somebody who, um, who thinks that uh, everything is subjectivity, but um, but it is it, it's a way of opening up conversation rather than shutting it down. If you're saying that the thing that you're you're saying is objective fact, and that anybody who disagrees with it is you know blind to reality, is uh, crazy, is undergoing psychosis, you're you're not going to be able to have a productive conversation with them. So opening the conversation with my struggle with this thing is that I have a hard time understanding, right? Something like that. Really communicating your own belief, but not saying if you believe differently than me, you're an idiot. Right, exactly. All right. Um, I just want to read a quick email that came in early. Uh, I decided to get vaccine because I don't, while I don't care about having to wear a, a mask, I like to keep my friends with autoimmune disorders safe. And it can really can't be worse than the time I had to get 12 vaccines once or get kicked out of middle school. So essentially her parents didn't get her vaccinated uh, for things like hap, tetanus, whooping cough because of their own health and financial struggles until she got a letter from a school saying she needs 12 shots or she was going to get barred from attending. And then she had to have her aunt take her in to get and pay for all those vaccines. And that's one of those things that you were talking about. We don't know people's reasons always for why they're not getting something. Um, We are quickly running out of time. I wish Mm -hmm. we had another hour because this is a really helpful and interesting conversation. But I do want to talk to what is the Humanities Forum have actively? There are some active conversations that are going to be happening in April. And I'd like for you to tell us about that and how people can participate and what the purpose of those are. Yeah, so we have a webinar and workshop series where we're talking about the skills for having these conversations in your day-to-day life. And so uh, the webinars are um, are more uh, lecture style. You can tune in and then participate in a Q&A. Uh, and then the workshops are really interactive where you're digging in and practicing the skills because it's easy to talk about what you should do and really, really, really hard to actually do it in practice. And these webinars and workshops are meant to um, take people um, wherever they are with the issue. And so if you are someone 
um, who is uh, skeptical or very against vaccines, or if you are someone who um, is very for them, um, either way, you're probably having really difficult conversations, and we want to help you make those conversations better. And um, so the all of the webinars and workshops are available on our website, um, akhf.org. So that's an alphabet soup, but A as in Alaska, or AK as in Alaska, HF as in humanitiesforum.org. And um, we have already had, I, I think, five webinars, which are recorded and available on YouTube. And you can search the Alaska Humanities Forum and find those. Um, and they're, they're all different angles. Um, the workshop that we have coming up next week is um, about how to, how to uh, it's practicing asking better, wiser questions in the conversations themselves. Uh, we are also going to have a specific webinar on um, listening skills. We'll have one that's dedicated to the specific difficulties that come with conversations about childcare. Um, this project that we're doing is in partnership with the Alaska Children's Trust and uh, is funded by uh, the United Way of Anchorage uh, with funding from the municipality of Anchorage. And so um, because of the partnership with uh, Alaska Children's Trust, we really wanted to tackle that question of childcare conversations because that's like, if, if where are the stakes higher? than uh, when it comes to the health of our children. Yeah, and if you go on our uh, Line One webpage at Alaska Public Media, you can find the link to um, Alaska Humanities Forum, and that will give you all of this information uh, right there. So uh, that's Line One at Alaska Public Media. Just hop on there. In the last, so you got about 20 seconds to give us some quick tips, like how might we talk to people um, what are two or three little things we can do? I think the number one thing is to rethink your goals for the conversation. And instead of trying to convince someone or win the argument, um, try to learn something. Try to get to uh, uh, one of those moments that you say, huh, I never thought of it that way. All right. Um Okay, we are at the end of our conversation today. My, thank you so much, Megan, for joining us from the Alaska Humanities Forum. I appreciate you coming in today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. All thank right, you. check out our website for information about today's topic. Um, I'll be back next week for a discussion about cults. My guest will be international expert Janja Lalich, who's devoted her life to that study of cults, coercion, and charismatic authority. Amon Swanson, Ammon Swanson, standing in today as our uh, producer, and Tobin Shelby, as always, making the magic happen. For all of us at Line One, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Until next time, I'm Prentice Pemberton. Have a great day, Alaska. Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants, and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.